sit in the stands, watch on TV. There are movies, documentaries, shows, dedicated to the amazing feats only a few of us can do. We watch in reverence as they skate down the ice, push another human being out of their way, sprint down the track, hoist a massive amount of weight, or carve their way through water. We see them apply their trade for seconds at a time, showing what the human body is capable of. Some of us remember the fast kid from high school, from the high school basketball team. The kid that couldn't be stopped on the ice and usually scored a hat trick every game. The person whose endurance never seemed to wane. Maybe you were that person. Chances are, you are not. We see the result, not the 5 a.m. wake-up calls, not the sweat that drops on the track, concrete, or gym floor. Those days when another squat feels like torture and lunch makes another appearance into the trash can. We marvel at the ease in which these superhumans move, but rarely see the dedication and prep it truly takes to become a world-class athlete. Tonight on Those Canadian Lads, we'll get a chance to explore the experiences, the mind, the preparation, and the dedication of one such athlete. Olympian Emmanuel Paris, who competed in Beijing and now passes on his experience and knowledge as a performance coach, joins us. Before we get rolling though, Brad, how are you doing this evening? Jeffrey, I'm doing fantastic. I'm very excited for the interview today. Um, Emmanuel has taken the time to uh, come on the show and, and have a conversation uh, with those Canadian lads. But at the end of the day, uh, you were 100% right. That opening is fantastic because one thing that really interests me is, you know, what is the mindset to be an elite athlete? You know, when you're going to the Olympic Games, in any of those disciplines, you know, swimming, diving, running, throwing, you know, rowing, whatever it is, you know, it's not what, you know, the avid, you know, home gym athlete is doing. These guys and girls are putting a lot of them, their professional careers on the line to be um, amateur athletes at the highest level, right? So I'm looking forward to having a conversation about what is it like to be a elite athlete who goes to the Olympic Games, competes, a bronze medalist in the in the Commonwealth Games as well. So, uh, as a proud Canadian, I'm super excited to have this conversation with Manuel and uh, and see where his mind is at. And then also, what is it like transitioning out of being an elite athlete and then transitioning into coaching and and passing on his knowledge base to uh, the next generation of sprinters uh, in this great country. Yeah, like, I think I can't stress it enough that we really take it for granted as sports fans and somebody who watches, you know, soccer, hockey, football, um, as we discussed in the last podcast, I didn't watch as many of the Olympics as I wanted to, uh, you you really enjoy the Olympics, but we watch these athletes apply their trade and these are the pinnacle of athletic performance in whatever discipline they're putting forward. And it's I think it's very easy for the for the casual viewer or the you know the sports fan to go like, hey, you know what? If I went in the gym and I just you know hit some bicep curls, and you know maybe some stretching, I could throw a football that far. I could run down the track in ten point three seconds. It's like no, no, you can't. But you know that's what's that's what's exciting. Most of us kind of watch and go like, I, I think I could compete with this. And I guess that's why there were shows like pros versus Joe's and just anyways, my point being is that it, it's amazing what these athletes are capable of doing, but 
it's not just a God-given talent. It's also a dedication to the craft. It is applying yourself, those early mornings, those late nights, those making sure your nutrition is 100%, making sure your recovery is 100%, and just all the things that we just ignore as the average people. These people are, this is what they're solely focused on. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. By the way, who, you know, who could throw a football really far? Uncle Rico. He could throw football over those mountains. So. He could throw it over those mountains. Yes, he was a superior athlete as well. <laughs> <laughs> he won state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so yeah, we're going to have a fantastic conversation uh, with Emmanuel Paris um, uh, at Coach Pow on Instagram. So uh, if you're ever looking for his handle, I'll, uh, I'll put that into the uh, the uh, comment section on YouTube and in our podcast. But uh, yeah, I know I'm very excited to have this conversation and really dig into the elite athlete and uh, and go from there. So, Absolutely. And I, I think Emmanuel is going to, obviously he's going to be offering insight that you and I never could realistically. Like we've talked about it before. Like I'm in the gym at five, five in the morning. You know, I'm, I'm in bed early because I can't stay up late, but I'm not, I'm not this athlete, this guy and others like him and like what we witnessed in the Olympics and we witnessed in on Sportsnet and, and uh, SportsCenter. These people are, they're just superior athletes when it comes to this type of stuff. So he's going to have an insight that, you know, in regards to how he got there, the journey he took, the steps that he took along the way, he's going to offer up something that neither one of us could even possibly entertain even attempting at this point in our lives, because let's face it, and Emmanuel's my age, which is actually funny, because you see, he once again, a guy my age, you definitely see how superior of an athlete he is compared to a guy who works out in his basement. <laughs> yeah, wait till uh, full forty-one hits, right? And uh, yeah, the the old bones and joints are uh, are hurting pretty hard, but uh, yeah, would be nice to uh, to have the. Uh, the physical uh, attributes that uh, I guess you, Jeff, and and, uh, and uh, Emmanuel have, but uh, I didn't know that hard not, work in the no. gym. So. No. <laughs> no, no, don't don't put don't put somebody like myself and Emmanuel in the same box because uh, that's, no, that's, no, that's an insult. That's an insult, Emmanuel. Yeah, there's there's different boxes Look. for sure. <laughs> We should uh, we should uh, inquire whether or not he would be interested in posting a quick, few quick videos down the road of like him racing us, and we could just truly see how much faster somebody like Emmanuel is compared an Olympic athlete compared to two schmoes. <laughs> so you, you want to put me having a heart attack onto the uh, the the, the, the podcast YouTube website? So I think you can make a hundred meters. Like you know, oh, I'll make a hundred meters, but in like twenty five <laughs> seconds, thirty seconds. <laughs> For those, uh, I don't think our names pop up at the bottom here. My handle for this episode was 100 meters in 14 seconds. And I'm probably being pretty naive in regards to that actually being what the time would be. So. <laughs> yeah, mine is Brad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, I think uh, that's enough banter. I think we should uh, move on into the uh, the conversation with Emmanuel. And uh, let's, uh, let's see what the, uh, the man has to say. Absolutely. All righty. We are so excited to have Manuel Paris on the podcast tonight. Uh, Jeff wasn't able to make the uh, conversation, but Emmanuel, thank you for, uh, for coming on tonight. Oh, no worries. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a bit sad that Jeff isn't here 
Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> but a pleasure to be on uh, on those Canadian lads. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Absolutely, man. We're a new podcast, uh, and you are truly one of our our freshest guests, newest guests. Uh, we've had a marketing expert, uh, Katie Hobbins, on uh, yeah. previously, and uh, and we have our our longstanding. Uh, uh, guest Saskatchewan Bo, who gives us some political uh, advice from time to time. But uh, thanks again, and I don't know whether to call you Emmanuel, Coach Pow. I know you go go by a few other names. But you know what? Yeah. So if I was if if you procured my services as a coach, then Coach Pow would be it. Um, yeah. So we, that's it, Coach Pow. Uh, those who've known me for a very very long time, you'll probably hear them calling me EJ. You know, uh, Emmanuel Joseph is uh, my first name so that was abbreviated and then i have an appellation which is otiano so sometimes i hear people throw that one around right on right on well i appreciate you coming on we've got lots to talk about tonight uh, we're going to try to cram as much as, as possible into the conversation uh kind of throwing it back just for a background for our guests uh, uh i know you have a uh, bronze medal uh from the commonwealth games thank you i'm a huge uh, athletics fan and uh an Olympics fan. So talking to an Olympian is truly an honor for me. Uh, the last person I ever talked to who had an Olympic medal was Kathy Freeman. Uh, oh, I ran nice. into her at, uh, at a, the Mexican restaurant on white Avenue and she didn't want to admit that that was her. So, uh, that was really cool. But, uh, having a chance to speak with you and kind of dig into the conversation, I truly appreciate it. What that was I'm like, was she here for the 2001 the world, world championships champ. in 2001. I was a lot younger yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Cause I'm like, why would Kathy Freeman be here? Not to say like, oh, yeah. I'm like coming all the way from Australia. What were you doing in Edmonton? There is some business you're taking. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, that would be like really, oh, why are you in Edmonton? But yes. Yeah. It's like Edmontonians yeah. will go to Australia for the warm weather. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Australia has got some amazing summers. I was there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Kathy Freeman, amazing. I watching her 400 meter, um, Olympic final when she won gold there, that's like, that's definitely a race that could bring tears to someone's eyes. You know, and that's the, the glory of the Olympics and, and the sport that you, uh, have performed in the sport you're coaching. So, yeah. you know, I really want to kind of dive in, but, you know, speaking of the Olympics, you are an Olympian, the 2008 Be Beijing Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was a, a member of the, the basically qualified for the Olympic Games in 2008 uh, after placing fourth in the 100 meters at national championships. They usually take the top five or even six um, to the Olympics for the four by 100 meter relay. So they bring four runners plus two alternates. Sometimes they use an alternate or they'll use someone from the 200 meter dash. So in this case, uh, there was Jared Connaughton, who was a he was running the open 200 meters. So he was one of the members on the relay team outside of someone who myself who finished fourth at trials. But that's yeah. awesome. So I went to the games, didn't do anything, but that's all right. No, no, <laughs> you, you qualified to go to the games and that's huge. Right. So I want to talk yeah. to you about a little bit about that. So, uh, first of all, I want to ask you, so, um, obviously you're coaching now, but what was your first exposure to track and field? Uh, first exposure to track was in elementary school. Oh, nice. Uh, in the, the schoolyard, we had, I went to a school in Etobicoke, Ontario called Our Lady of Peace. It was a Catholic elementary school. And we had, uh, we had these like makeshift track lanes 
that were right outside one of the portables. <laughs> yes, we had, we had portables because they didn't have enough rooms for kids. They still Our have them. population was growing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I remember, like, that was, like, the cool thing was to get outside and just race. It was free. It You know, obviously, it, it costs energy. Um, but it was, like, such a fun thing to do was just to test your getaway sticks against everybody else. And uh, I remember being, like, pretty fast. Actually, I'm certain that I was, like, the fastest one in my school, um, aside from my sister. And, uh, yeah, that's, I, that's when the, that's when I, I started kind of becoming interested in track and field, but it wasn't enough to take my interest away from martial arts or soccer. Those are my two favorites. So what transitioned you? So when did you realize that? Like, I'm first of all, you called your legs, your getaway sticks, and I'm going to use yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, going forward, I'm only five foot six, so these aren't yeah. getaway sticks. The maybe <laughs> on hockey skates, but <laughs> I'm going to use those. Use that line now. Yeah. But uh, when did you realize you were good at you know just the the sport of running and just the uh, athleticism of running? So usually, like people will join a sport when they realize that they're good. Some people do. Others will join when they realize that they suck, but they want to get better. Yeah, and. I can't say that I sucked, but based on like the population that I was racing against, I wasn't that good. And, uh, I remember trying out for track and field. So like I had elementary school track and field and it was, you didn't train. You just went out in the schoolyard and you ran, you ran for your high school. I was actually pretty good at cross country. Yeah. I should, I should mention that. Uh, but then now we get, we break into high school. High school was weird. It was like this very weird phase. Uh, I didn't participate. I think I actually tried out for like basketball in grade nine and didn't make the team. We had a lot of kids in our school who played organized basketball as an extracurricular activity. So I stood no chance just a kid who played like street ball, but not enough. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't try out for sports. I was like, you know, four foot six in grade nine kind of thing and just felt a bit like intimidated. Um, so I just left the sports alone for like grade nine. And it wasn't until like grade 10, I was like, you know what, maybe I'm going to try out for soccer. I tried out for soccer. I didn't even make the team. And that was a sport that I played for seven years. And it was just like, man, this sucks. And then uh, I believe it was grade 11 rolled around. And at this point, it was like sports had literally nothing to do with my life. So it was like, it was weird. Like now that I think back to that time, I'm like, wow, I wasn't even, I was not even playing a sport. I wasn't doing really? any more soccer, nothing. Yeah. Just like, I'm not going to say getting into trouble, but I was like cl really close. So You're on that cusp of going down a different road. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, but my mom put the fear of God in me. So <laughs> it was like, you know, I'd always be like, yeah, I got to go home. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. if I ever want to experience a murder, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do something that stuff and my mom will murder. You're explaining my <laughs> mom, <blood>. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, basically, um, yeah, grade 11 rolled around and I was like, you know what? I got to do something. My sister, who was, I'm skipping a big part of the story. She was like a track standout at this time in my high school. And in, in uh, I'll say in Ontario as well. She did not train whatsoever. And she was running fast, like hand times of like 12 seconds flat for the 100 meters. So everyone knew my sister's being the fast one. Great level rolls around. Uh, she's a year older than me. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to do track and field. I'm going to try out. And I came fifth in my grade 
And I remember I got accepted as a, a, a relay alternate. <laughs> okay. And I remember racing at one meet and I was called the snowball meet. And I remember I ran, I ran better than everybody else who beat me at the high school trials. So it was kind of weird. It was like, I showed up to the event and ran faster than everyone. Hmm. So even though I got blown out by <laughs> all the other competitors, like from the other schools, I was like, you know what? I think I got to try this again. And not only that, I think I need to gather some information that's going to help me run faster. So I started doing that. And um, I was like asking my sister questions about track drills and this and that and talking to people at track meets. And uh, fast forward to grade 12, I ended up uh, outsourcing a coach. And that's where I remember being like, okay, I suck. <laughs> when I joined that track club, all of the athletes there were like, you know, finalists from the high school championships in the hundred meters or 200. And I was the only one who didn't even make it out of the districts. <laughs> so, uh, I'm training with this coach and she's not saying a thing to me. Like I'm asking, she's like telling the other athletes, Oh, you look great. You're going to run fast. I'm like, how about me? She's like, yeah, just, just keep going. And, <laughs> just run. You know, just run while, yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't know if this is the kind of coaching that I like, you know, part of me felt like she didn't like me. And uh, I had some experiences like that in elementary school uh, with teachers, just a few. And whenever you feel like a teacher doesn't like you, it's just hard to learn. So anyways, oh, yeah. I switched coaches and uh, long story short or long story still long, uh, I ended up winning um, my districts and regionals in the 100, 200 and 400 meters. And then ended up going to the high school uh, provincial championships as the fastest 400 meter runner. I went there and I choked. You know, um, and I think a lot of it had to do with not having enough, um, fitness to run all three events. I was like one of the only athletes running all three events at high school champs. Like in my, you're just going for it. Yeah. 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 So anyway, it's, uh, hopefully that story is digestible. Um, but no, yeah, it's... I realized that, you know, I, it wasn't even then that I realized that I was good because like the times that I ran then, you know, uh, the hundred meters, I went 10.88, uh, 200 meters, 21.88. And then, sorry, not 10, I went 10.89, 21.88. And then in the 448.63, the 400 was, was probably my best performance. Um, and having run all three events showed like, you know, this kid could be molded into any one of these, possibly a 200 meter runner. But, um, yeah, it took me like another three years after that to really realize that, okay, I might be, I may be, um, good for this sport, you know, that that's pretty actually interesting. If you, you, you kind of explain your, your progress through high school, right. And obviously yeah. you're going through body changes, hormone changes, you know, yeah. and then you hit the coach that and you're hundred percent, right. If you're dealing with somebody who's not giving you the time or giving you the right attention to work on your, your technique in any sport, right. That's, yeah. that could be kind of de deflating, but for you to go in down another road and was that coach kind of a, a game changer, the next coach that was in, in your kind of, uh, in your life to kind of take you to the next step or. I went through a couple coaches. So, yeah. um, I don't want to mention, I don't know. Part of me feels like I should just mention names. <laughs> you, you don't have to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the first coach, uh, was, um, it was on location at the university of Toronto. Yeah. And then I left there went to York university and found a really good, this coach was good because he, he actually, there was something about him. Like he, 
you just started to believe in yourself just a little bit more. You know, it was one of those things. And then uh, I left him and ended up going to this coach who uh, he just had all the fast athletes. Yeah. Everybody just gravitated towards him. Um, so, and they were, it was a bunch of athletes who I used to train with in my first group. So it was really interesting. We all get together again under different circumstances with this, you know, this coach who I think, you know, we had more in common with just background wise. Yeah. Um, all the athletes in the group were from the Caribbean islands or parents, uh, most of them were born in the, in the islands. Yeah. My parents, um, moved to Canada. So I was born here, uh, but parents from Trinidad, but anyways, we all get back together. And that group was just like, we were having too much fun. <laughs> we were having way too much fun. So then I switched over and went to a, a coach who I met at a chiropractor's office while I was dealing with a back injury from a car accident. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I wasn't getting any better. I lost a scholarship to Villanova. Yeah. I had yeah. a full ride there. And uh, yeah, I lost that scholarship and was like, I'm pretty much staying home. And uh, I don't wow. really have any other plan other than to get back in shape and and run and that's when i made the the decision or the decision i think was made for me to drop the 400 and run the 100 and the 200. and that was your 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 prime focus then for the rest of your career yeah the 100 meters ended up being my prime focus not by choice um i'll say it <laughs> my coach didn't he didn't feel like i was a good 200 meter runner yeah based on how i i came to him because i was like barely lifting weights and weighed like 195 pounds at five, nine. Yeah. You know? Um, so he was like, you're too big. You can't make it around a two. You can't make it around. You know, you can't race. You can't run a 200 meters, you know, at that body weight. And based on your hundred meter time, um, you know, compared to the 200, you should be a hundred meter specialist to this. So day, basically I'm physics are coming into play now. Right. So yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah, my best hundred meter time I weighed two hundred and three pounds. Yeah, let me see my best hundred meter time. Yeah, two hundred and three pounds and uh, two hundred and five when I ran my best two hundred meter time. With no fitness though, like I wasn't even training to be. I wasn't even prepared for that. And when I tell you I died with like eighty meters to go, I was <laughs> I was like walking. It looked like you know I was doing one of these. And yeah, I was yeah, so yeah. embarrassed after the race. I thought I ran like twenty three seconds. And I, I was in, uh, I was in Marietta, Georgia. And I remember just walking off the track and behind the stands and funny story, the coach, someone who spotted me making that little trip of embarrassment was, uh, I believe today, Andre DeGrasse's coach, Raina Ryder. Oh, I no way. Coach. Yeah. So Raina was trying to recruit me before I went to school in Quebec. So okay. between going to school in Illinois and Quebec, he was trying to get me to come to Kansas where he was the track coach. So years later, he sees me, you know, 205 pounds running this terrible 200, sees me cut behind the stands and he hadn't seen me in a long time. And it's like, whoa, he said, uh, your coaches let you run like that. <laughs> they try to put you on a diet. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious, man. Like that's, yeah. but that's a thing, right? If you don't know, and if you're not being like led yeah. down the right path, you know, you don't know, right? That's the thing, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're hiring these people to help you, you know, go down the right road and, and give you their advice and their technique. And yeah. yeah. I don't think, you know what? I can't really 
poo-poo on my old coach, the, my my coach here in Edmonton. Yeah. Because um, I don't know, he had like a very he had a really solid group of athletes. Yeah. One of them was a national champ over four hundred meters, and he had quite the two hundred meter time. So I don't know if he looked at it like, why would I have you run a two hundred when this four hundred meter runner is running so much faster than you over two hundred? You know, I I don't really get it. But uh, I think that that could have been um, more volume that I could have gotten in that potentially would have helped in keeping some weight off because I wasn't even eating a lot. I just, if I were to look at, they used to say, if I looked at a weight room, I would grow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess the question next I have is, so you've gone from high school, you had a chance to go to Villanova. Um, You say you go to, you go to school. I didn't go to Villanova. I, I lost that scholarship to Villanova and I ended up going to Southern Illinois university, Saluki's, in Carbondale, Illinois. So D1 okay. school. Um, yeah. Didn't go so well for me down there. <laughs> so, but that being said, like, kind of leading up to the question, like we talked about at the beginning, like, you've got a bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games. You've been yeah. to the Olympics. You know, yeah. you've ran in a lot of events. So what was that next thing that kind of took you from, you know, kind of working your way through your career and then all of a sudden, boom, you're you're in these big events? Oh, uh... It's, it, I'm sure, like, I should probably, a friend of mine told me this the other day, he's like, you should write a book. Because when I sat down and told him the story, he was like, holy crap. Uh, here's this, this piece. I'm racing in Illinois for my, my university, and we're, we go to the Jesse Owens Track Classic in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, I run the 100 meters, and I run 11.16 in the 100 meters. Mind you, just today or yesterday, a young... 19 year old or not even 19 i think she's like 16 years old or 17 jamaican girl just ran 11 16 or 11 11 at the world under 20 olympics in nairobi wow right so that just shows you like she would have beaten me not only that on that very same day back in it was like 2003 uh an american sprinter named muna lee from lsu she ran 1098 in the hundred meters at some meet on the very same day that I ran eleven sixteen in the hundred meters of Jesse Owens track classic. Yeah, yeah. And I remember like all my teammates who I was, you know, fairly cool with, they were like, damn man, you're on a full scholarship and you ran eleven sixteen. Like oh, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh I was a bit of a hothead, so it's like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, I suck. But <laughs> but uh no, I was just kidding. Um they like I remember that point I was like, damn. Like, I'm actually, like, very slow. I came second last at the meet. Yeah. Like, there was, like, 60-some-odd sprinters. There were so many flights that day uh, or heats. And I remember going to look at the results list because I didn't even hear my time. And I was, like, scrolling down, 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 over to the next sheet, down, 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 over to the next sheet. 11.16 was just, like, holy crap. That is, like, that is embarrassing. Yeah. And uh, it didn't get any better. And I came home from school, and I was, like, 200 and, like, I can't remember what I, I didn't even weigh myself after 209. Yeah. And I wasn't even 5'9 at the time. I think I was like 5'6, five, 5'7. Five, and it was just me eating food. And the the track coach got really excited to put me in the gym. Cause he thought I was like a gym body, but I was I was fairly weak. Yeah. But yeah. before I left, I was benching everything and squatting everything, and I was huge and couldn't move. So uh anyways. I get back and I get back to my high school or I get back to the coach who prepared me before I left for Illinois. 
and things got better. That was like a really good year. I just stayed, uh, I stayed with him for a year. I did um, my education online, independent learning program through the same university in Illinois. And I ended up running fast. And I think it was like that year, that was my first year going to national champs, which was also the Olympic trials in 04. And I just missed qualifying the Olympics in 04, for the Olympics in 04. Okay. Yeah. And um, I remember that was when, like, because 03, 04, I was going to quit track. And one of my good friends, Chris, was like, don't quit. You know, so, you know, I listened to him and uh, 2004 was a good year. And I remember showing up to national champs in 2005 and I'm at the meat hotel and some folks from another province were like, are you EJ Paris? I said, yeah. And they're like, you're having a standout year. And I remember that sticking in my head because I was like, holy crap. Like, okay, I think this is Somebody like- Somebody took notice. Yeah, and that was yeah. 2005. Uh, 2005, I got the uh, bronze medal in the 200 meters. So this is before I stopped running 200s. Yeah. So 2005, yeah, bronze in the 200 meters. And I came fourth in the 100 meters and uh, qualify for world champs as a relay guy. But I decided not to go to world champs in Finland. I felt like I wasn't ready. Okay. So I asked to go to like the, the kitty version of track me. <laughs> I know it sounds like some people are gonna be like, that's not right. But I decided to go to the world student games instead, which were in Turkey, okay. instead of going to like the world championships of track and field, you know, all because I wanted to get in more runs, but whatever. <laughs> did that did that bet pay off though for you? Was that the right decision in your mind? Um, now that I think about it, part of me feels like perhaps if I had gone to World Champs, they may not have had me. They may not have run me on the relay because yeah. I was just so young, I was so new to the sport. Um, you know, I just uh, they had a hurdler, Charles Allen, who was fast, who could also you know. Uh, be interchangeable on the relay and I believe yeah. they actually used him so you know because when I said I wasn't going they just took the guy who came fifth uh and him on the yeah. relay yeah I remember telling uh the head track and field coach Derek Covington I was like hey uh Derek uh my name is EJ Paris um uh you probably don't know me I, I just uh this is my you know this is this, this is one of my you know this is sorry this is my second time coming to national champs and you know, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came out. But, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, but I don't want to go to Worlds. And he was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You have like some family gathering that you have to go to? I was like, no, no. Was like, <laughs> and it's in Finland, so. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, well, you have to pay to go to Turkey. The trip to Finland's like taken care of. And I was like, that's okay. <laughs> <I'm going to> <laughs> <laughs> you turned down the free ride? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So that was interesting, but um, no, that that is interesting. So then you you go to the the student games, you skip out on the world championships, and then is does your progression just keep going on from there? And then all yeah, of a sudden yeah. you're you're there. Yeah, uh, 2005 was just like a place for me to get my feet wet without being so intimidated. Um, you know, which which is what I thought would happen. Uh, anytime it came to like combat sports, taekwondo, or whatever. Uh, I always felt very confident because I feel like uh, um, I've always, this sounds kind of weird, but it's like when faced with combat, I, I, there's never any like uh, doubt in my mind, you know, that I can win. Um, but when it came to track and field or like soccer, I didn't approach it the same way, which was weird. 
And it wasn't until I quit track or retired from track in 2009 and then went to the wrestling room at the U of A that I was rekindled with that feeling like wrestling and being like, I can't be, I can't lose. And then I went back to track in 2012 and I, I, it was the first time ever. I like actually carried that with me for my first couple competitions. I was like, you know, and I thought to myself, you know, this is something that I should have actually prepared because, uh, I was one of those athletes who would overanalyze things and forget one of my biggest gifts, you know? Do you, do you think a lot of it then is between the ears as an like, yeah. elite athlete? Cause you're, you're oh, coaching yeah. people now, right? So yeah. Oh, big time. They it, say it, some of the, I mean, everybody's cut from a different cloth, but, um, they say some of the best athletes are the ones who have, I've said this before, who have selective amnesia, um, you know, tend to forget. And sometimes they say like the best athletes are the dumbest athletes. And I only say that they're just the ones who don't try to think too much while they're yeah. doing it. You know, they're just completely involved in action. And those are my best races. You know, when I was one, having fun and two, just totally involved in the action that I got lost in it. And, uh, that's super important. And when they say it's, you know, it's all between the ears, if the mind isn't, um, let's say if the, if the imagination isn't clear, you know, in building what it is that you want, the desired outcome, the feeling, the everything, get a gathering, all the senses, you know, to, 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 I'll say using the sixth sense imagination, but still feeling all the other five senses, you know what I mean? Because your imagination is so rich. Like you could smell the track or the wind, the, the wind, you can hear the people in the stands cheering, that kind of thing. I feel like when an athlete can really go that far into imagining their victories and stuff that it truly happens, you know? So I wouldn't doubt that a guy like Andre de Grasse is one of the best at that. Another individual who I feel is like that. And even though people are like, oh, he's so much hype. And I don't really like him that much as Conor McGregor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Conor McGregor, Israel Adesanya, those guys, they just stand out like more than just like, you know, um, marketing geniuses. There's something about their, their, their energy. That is that you can tell that they're very good at manifesting. I think that's a lot of the greatest athletes that have ever existed. Muhammad Ali, yeah. you know, you see in Edmonton, Conor, Mc, Conor McDavid, you know, yeah. a lot of the elite athletes, they, they tend to go, I think what you're explaining is the zone, you know, they just yeah. do because they're in the moment, they're in the zone and time slows down. And you just explained all of that. You know, when you're, you're running your race, time slows down. Like you said, you can smell the grass, you can see yeah. the, hear the fans experience it and feel it. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> what's it, what's it like? So, you know, obviously Brad from those Canadian lads has never ran a race in front of thousands of people so what is that like okay so it's crazy uh my experience would be craziest experience would be australia okay. commonwealth games i'm running anchor for team canada and i remember glenroy telling me i don't know if he was i, I could have sworn he told me it was like eighty-five thousand people and i was like no yeah. way but the stadium was just packed i he, like in the rounds I didn't even want to look up because that's how like, you know, you just felt like everybody was staring at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause they are. <laughs> and, uh, and then in the finals, I'm now walking behind a Safa Powell and I was fanboying a little bit because 
prior to going to the Commonwealth Games, I'm watching Asafa Powell win all the Diamond League track meets and breaking the world record over 100 meters. And now he's like walking in front of me. And as we're being marshaled out to the anchor leg position on the track, and I'm here like, holy crap. Like, this, like, we're going in ranked second, or I think third. We're, ranked, we're going in ranked second into the finals for the relay. Yeah. Uh, Jamaica being the only team that's run faster than us in the heats. And I'm like, I can't, like, there's nothing I can do right now but believe in my team and myself. And, like, sorry being rude, but F Asafa Powell. You yeah. know what I mean? The other athletes on the track. I hope they finish healthy. That was one of my thoughts. I always say that. I hope me and my competitors finish this race healthy um, because we see way too many, you know, getaway sticks that bust down. <laughs> <laughs> Hamstring blowouts. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. So the baton was coming around and it was like, it sounded like the whole, everyone in the stadium was stomping their feet. So it's just this rumbling that's coming around. I'm pretty certain people were stomping their feet and they were yeah. following the baton. Cause as the baton came closer to me, I was like, what the fuck is, is this an earthquake? Yeah. That's kind of yeah. what it felt like. And then I took off and it was like, everything was just slow motion. Like everything, awesome. just like a surreal feeling. I know people, people, athletes will describe moments like this and it sounds quite the same, but literally that's what it was. It was everything was in slow motion for a few steps. And then all of a sudden I had to, well, I had to wait for the baton. Uh, we almost got disqualified. I grabbed the baton and, you know, I run and uh, maintain a third place position, which was our bronze. We gave away the silver medal, if not a good contest against uh, Jamaica for the gold, but definitely we gave away the silver medal to South Africa because our bobbled baton exchange cost us that medal. And we beat South Africa in the heats. Handily. Yeah, that's that's always tough, right? To know that a bit of a mistake, you know, yeah. could have been the the difference between gold, silver, bronze, and or whatever, right? But yeah. uh, it was pretty. Thank fun. you, thank you for sharing that, because obviously that is to me that's a that's a bit of an intimate moment in your mind of what's going on in in an important part of your life, right? So yeah. you know, I guess kind of transitioning the conversation from your career because that's one of the highlights of obviously of your career, yeah, uh, uh, winning yeah. that bronze medal. Um, but how did that, that, that affect you in regards to you in the next steps in your life in regards to, you know, obviously you, you, you've transitioned now from, from being an active participant into coaching Yeah. and how did that moment impact you? And now how do you feel that moment's impacting your, your students, right? The people that are entrusting you to help them be better athletes, better, um, performers. Well, I think it's the, having that, the psychological experience is sometimes missing from some coaches and that's not, it's not like it's a problem. It's just when it's not there, then they have to borrow uh, or not borrow, but they have to be, they have to, um, excuse me, compensate in other areas. Yeah. But, uh, having had the actual, um, personal firsthand experience, um, to, comprehend what it's like, what kind of pressures there are, um, psychologically to perform at a high level. I think a lot of my clients, uh, really see the value in how I share the information or excuse me, how I share that side of things, you know, what it takes or what I believe it takes for someone to perform at a high level where their mind 
can be, not where it should be, because everybody's everyone's going to be a little bit different. Um, but where some of the things that we should be considering: uh, mental training, uh, mental resiliency, stress yeah. management, those things. A lot of people think training, coaching is just I'm going to put together a good program. No, I need to find out, or you at least need to be um, having a look at what are your stress levels like. You know, because that is a key performance indicator. And next from that, if your stress levels are high, what are you doing to manage that? What are you doing to make sure that it's that we can maintain our training, you know, on the track or in the gym? Or will I need to reduce some of the training stress, you know, to basically offset what's going on at home or whatever up here? So um, hopefully I answer that question. No, no, man. That's, that's very like, that's kind of, you know, I'm hoping that somebody, you know, who's wanting to obviously get into athletics or even maybe track and field or a different sport, whatever, if they listen to this podcast and they, they listen to Emmanuel's talk about, you know, what, that's kind of how, you know, the, I wanted the conversation essentially to go to is, you know, yeah. what was your path to where you are today? Cause, uh, Honestly, it's, I think C, it's the C word confidence. Yeah. If I could, yeah. yeah. If I could have like, you know what, I probably could have answered like two of your questions like that by just saying that word confidence. When yeah. I noticed that I started to improve in track and field, it was a confidence thing. You know, I used to show up to track meets and look at the start list and worry about all those individuals who are faster than me and be like, oh, damn, you know, and then one day I showed up to a track meet and I didn't even care to look at the start list and I won the meet. Did anybody trigger that for you though? Did, did something happen where you're like, somebody maybe put that mental note or maybe that mental thing in your head? Say, yeah, like, I, you think gotta... it was, I, I usually have a pretty good memory. People tell me I have a memory of an elephant, but in this old age, <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like it was one of my coaches, uh, Mr. Wesley Johnson. I think he noticed one day that I kept looking at the meat list and he was like, stop looking at the list. And he I think he, yeah, he did say that. He said, stop looking at the start list. And he goes, what you might not notice is that a lot of these athletes who are showing up to the meet are looking at the start list and worrying about you when they see your name there. And he goes, meanwhile, you're here worried about them. And I was like, what? He said, stop. Yeah, he was like, stop looking at it. And I just stopped looking at it that day. And, uh, you know, I didn't win every meet after that, but that definitely changed my demeanor. And then uh, I had a little stint in London, Ontario, where I lived with my sister. Um... And uh, she was going to University of Western Ontario, UWO, and I was training. I was coaching myself, or my coach was sending me programs, and I was training myself on this. Uh, I think it's the same place where Damian Warner, the the Kathy, where he trains, because they said Damian Warner prepared for the Olympics training on a a forty meter indoor track on a uh, that's just on the outside of a skating rink. And I know okay, exactly cool. What he's talking about because I trained there. <laughs> You had to wear like a snowsuit and do your spring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I trained there and I remember getting, you know, significantly faster and, but confidence was the one thing that transferred the most, you know, no matter how strong I was, cause there are times in my training where I was fairly weak cause my coach didn't want me lifting cause I was getting too big. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he had me lifting, like throwing med balls and barely even lifting like 30% of my one, uh, one repetition maximum. And uh, I got down to 185 pounds, but I felt like weak as as weak could be. And was that I frustrating felt, though? Like, 
thinking uh, about that. Fast. Yeah. I still ran fast. Uh, <laughs> um, I ran my best season opener over 60 meters. And I remember I did complain. I was like, I felt like I had no power. I was just like a butterfly just floating through the air kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I was like, there was nothing there. It was this high velocity, you no know, like low force. Um, but yeah. Confidence no, man. Is it, you know? Confidence. Okay. So yeah. Jeff of those Canadian lads, he's given me a oh, few yeah. questions. I'm going to throw some at you here about fitness. Yeah. Um, you can answer them the best way you can possible. These ones, this is a long question. So I'm going to have to read it out here. Okay, man. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to speak in my Jeff voice. He's very stern and very, very strong individual. He's a, uh, he likes to lift. Uh, so yeah. he, he's never afraid of the weight room. So, uh, yeah. so I'll, I'll throw it at you like this. So when it comes to information in the fitness industry, there are so many sources, influencers who give out bad info and let's face it we're getting new studies in regards to training and nutrition that are legit changing our approach how do you handle the info and where do you turn for better info uh man you know what that is this is a conversation i've had so many times like literally had it at 6 p.m today perfect um, it is it's challenging um i've been involved in quite a few mentorships as of late and I just find that you can, when you have good critical thinking abilities and you have a wealth of personal experience, that sometimes it's easy to sniff out the quacks. Um, and I find that if you have uh, a good crew of, of, of peers, that that also helps too, because sometimes they might be the ones to knock and, and, and steer you from the dark path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> so <laughs> I find uh, um, having a solid group of peers is a great way to go. Having a few mentors, um, probably not too many mentors. Uh, and then definitely making sure that firsthand experience is your is is the tool that you're using. So instead of just like grabbing information and glorifying in that information before practice, you know, check it out. You know, uh, observe it, analyze it, practice it, test it, and then go from there. So I picked up shit many times, you know what I mean? Yeah. And played around with it for perhaps sometimes a little too long. So uh, I'm definitely not exempt from that. No, it's hard definitely when there's there's people throwing out stuff that's just, you know, because yeah. social media, everything out there, information is so, you know, accessible that there's people yeah. throwing that stuff out there that just isn't... Uh, well, and not only good? that, too, it's like everyone wants to be the next one to blow up and have a million yeah. followers and stuff. So it's like, what are people willing to do just to to be famous? Yeah. You know what I mean? To not get those Canadian lads, Emmanuel. <laughs> we just, we, we just want to have good conversations and hopefully yeah. we inspire somebody down the road. That's the goal. Yeah, and I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, just be true to yourself. That's Jeff and I. We've worked together in business, um, and it's just the people who have success. I find they're true to themselves and they're true to others, right? So yeah, I love huge, that. right? Yeah, I love well. that. Yeah. So Jeff also asks, uh, what kind of in individuals are you coaching today? So what kind of coaching are you doing, and uh, what kind of individuals that uh, are you kind of attracted to coach? Uh, yeah, you know what? At this stage, I feel like I pick and choose like my clients. Yeah, I was saying this the other day. I said I feel so like blessed to 
to have like the crew, the tribe, I call them my tribe who I'm work, that I work with right now. Um, they're, most of them are uh, working professionals from like lawyers to, um, you know, uh, videographers, like yeah. one of my clients, she owns a boutique style video, uh, videography company. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just really cool group of athletes that I have. And when I say the, the boutique style, uh, videographer, videography company, she competes in master's level boxing and golf. And then her yeah. partner, he's a criminal defense lawyer, owns his own firm. He, he'll be competing indoors in track and field over 60 meters. So it'd be his first time racing. Took him from uh, triathlons to track to sprints. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we got him, and uh, and then I have a bunch of young athletes, so hockey players, soccer players, baseball players, and uh, yeah. So we're coaching them. I do a lot of stuff outside, just on the grass. You know, the grass is so much more forgiving than the track. Yeah. When we can get in a little bit more volume, working on acceleration, fast upright running based on the sport and the amount of upright running that's present in it. Whereas hockey, for example, we just, we do a lot of acceleration work because there's, right on. there's no need for upright running. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to speak in my Jeff voice once again. So yeah. I find myself having conversations about motivation versus this is really weird. Versus, first yeah. of all, uh, cause he's writ written his questions in a way that I need to speak in his words. So uh, yeah. uh, I find myself having many conversations about motivation and dedication. In my opinion, I find that motivation, although the initial catalyst to create dedication is fleeting and eventually it will only be the individual's dedication to their craft or goal that will carry them forward. What are your thoughts on that? Can you hit me with that again one more time? I was with sure. You. Yeah. Sure. I need to hear it again as well. Yeah, no, it's okay. I find myself having conversations about motivation versus dedication. Okay. In my opinion, I find that motivation, although the initial catalyst to create dedication is fleeting and eventually it will only be the individual's dedication to their craft or goal that will carry them forward. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I believe I get what he's what uh, Jeff is putting down there. Um, so, yeah, one being dedicated to uh, to their craft is what gets gets keeps them going, and I I agree with that. I feel like uh, I'll say motivation is fleeting. It's like uh, perhaps like a fire that can that continuously needs to be fanned, but yeah. so many times we stop, and you know we have excuses, and all of a sudden that fire is out and then you're like, all right, well, I can't do anything now. Um, yeah. so if I can put this in perspective, you know, with myself as a track athlete, uh, and then even as a coach, so I'll just talk about track. I started off and I wasn't, I wasn't even, I wasn't considered to be a development level hopeful or Olympic hopeful when I started, but I was so focused. I was so dedicated on getting better. I actually wasn't even concerned with going to the Olympics right away. I just said, Hey, you know what? I lost here. I want to be one of the fastest. I want to, I want to see how fast I can run. And that was my so-called high was, I want to see how fast I can run. There were weeks and months where I was running slower, but I was still, I'd go home and my bus ride home was like an hour and a half. 
And if I had a terrible practice, the ride home, something would happen and I would be like, you know what? Today I actually didn't finish practice or my last run was super slow. I can run faster next time. You know what I mean? And there was this, something was grown every time I took that bus ride home, you know? And uh, that I think was just me stirring this pot of just being super dedicated to, to this vision of me running faster, you know? And I remember like, there was a time where I wrote down how fast I wanted to run and I ran that fast and was like, oh shit, I need to write down a faster time. (laughs) But that was okay. That wasn't scared about it or anything like that. I was like, this is what I want. This is what I'm dedicated to. And I really like this. I actually, I love this. Um, And then coaching is the same, you know, and uh, the trials that I go through now is do I know enough as a coach or am I doing the best for my client? And that's the battle that I have with myself. Did I do enough? You know, did they do enough? What could I make better? And that's what I'm dedicated to now. So. That's awesome. (laughs) I think you answered Jeff's Jeff's question very thoroughly. So thank you very much. You know what? Like we're, we're getting close to the end of the conversation. So I just have a few more things to kind of touch on before we, we close out the conversation. So. On those Canadian Lads podcasts, so this podcast we always talk about was born from from the COVID pandemic. We we always wanted to do something together, Jeff and I. We've known each other for now over twenty years, but one of the topics that we really got into was the uh, the UFO phenomenon. And yeah. I was never into the paranormal. I was never into things in the sky or alien abductions or anything like that. But yeah. now. Now I'm a believer. So every time someone comes on the podcast, I have to ask them, do you, are you aware of what's going on in the world with the UFO phenomenon? And are you a believer with that? There are things in the sky. I mean, I, I, I'll answer the question by saying this. I do not think that we're the only, I mean, clearly we're not the, we're not, I don't think we're the highest form of intelligence on this planet. Um, and I feel like our senses only allow us to see so much or experience so much. And I think we're all coming at this from a limited point of understanding, you know, so there's, I, I, I'd say there must be, there's probably something else going on around us that we, are, we aren't even able to see. I mean, maybe what we, you know, what we can see in the skies, we see these, uh, these, uh, extraterrestrials or excuse me, spacecrafts flying around. Uh, I haven't seen any with my own eyes, but I've seen videos online enough that I'm like, interesting. Um, some people think it's a diversion. Other people firmly believe in it. I think there's probably extraterrestrials. Sometimes I think we're the extraterrestrials and we're we inhabiting somebody else's land. <laughs> hey, we could be. I'm, uh, I've been educated on this topic now for the last year. Like yeah. I said, uh, never was interested in any of this. And now uh, I find myself looking up into the sky more often. I love that you kind of took it with a kind of a multi-dimensional aspect. You know, there's yeah. there we might be living in layers of different dimensions, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a tribe in Africa called the Dogon tribe. And uh, um, I believe, who was it? Uh, NASA was looking for, had been looking for this tribe or was, is still looking for these members of the Dogon tribe to find out as much information because from them, because the info that they had about the constellation of the planets was pretty much, it would, it was a catalog of 250,000 years. 
and they didn't have anything to, they didn't have um, telescopes and things like of that nature to yeah. gather this information, but they knew it. Uh, but the Dogon describes that our cosmic parents come from Sirius B. So that being said, it's like, we may not even be from this planet. <laughs> so, oh man. Who knows the story of the Nephilim and all that and Enki and Enlil and, you know, so who knows? So I know your age. You don't know my age. I know because yeah. it's all plastered over the internet. So you're 38, right? Yeah. I'm 41. So do you think you're in our working. lifetime, in our lifetime, yeah, will we have definitive proof that there's life I hope beyond so. Earth? I hope so. Yeah. I feel like that would just, that would pull the, what do you, what do they say? There's a, a saying, like when someone's just stuck up, there's, what do they say? There's a, uh, something stuck up their butt. I don't know. What <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know how people Yeah, yeah. So we're so like, ignorant like, to, to yeah. On. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. find that out and you're like, you know what? Chill the F out. Because like, yeah, man. you know, there's, there's, there's things bigger than us. Like if we were to just like shrink ourselves down just a little bit, I think that would actually increase our compassion and stuff. You know, Jeff's so, going to yell at me for asking you a uh, UFO question. So it's oh, going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> well, he, he's not, he's not on board with those questions. No, he is. He's, he's all, he's into ghosts and nice all kinds of crazy stuff. So I'm, uh, but I he's going to be like, man, I'm definitely a, a ghost guy, but I don't see, uh, I don't see ghosts. Um, I had a roommate who was, used to see ghosts. She was my teammate as well, track and field. And, uh, funny story. She would ask me to walk around. I, I lived in the basement and she lived on the main floor and she would ask me to walk upstairs, like walk in her room. And I was like, I don't want to walk in here. She's like, yeah, just walk in my room. Cause every time that you come up to the main level, it's like they, the ghosts that I see, the malevolent ones usually end up like running. Oh, so I was like, interesting, like running away. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. So I would just, Every once in a while, when she would see them, I'd have to walk in her room and she's like, yeah, you just cleared them out. Thanks. <laughs> I don't see them, but <laughs> I guess I take them away. <laughs> Big, bad, malevolent ghost. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh Thanks, man. I really right. appreciate uh, the, the honesty there. If it, it made you feel awkward, I'm so sorry, but no, 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 no. Uh, I'm don't asking worry. you. I'm asking. So. Before we close out, so how, what can we do to help promote Emmanuel Paris? Um, so nothing right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd say people, you can follow me on, on Instagram. I, I haven't been posting much over the last week. Um, I just was going through this phase of like detoxing and stuff. So detoxing both, uh, when it comes to nutrition, um, social media as well and just trying to spend a little bit more time by myself. I was eating out a lot, you know, out in public a little bit too much, um, that kind of thing. And I just felt like I was losing focus. So yeah. this was a really, really cool reset. And um, I'm just like destroying fruit right now and loving it. Like the, my fingernails are just super clear right now. I usually yeah. wear glasses and my vision actually feels like pretty damn good. So this has been a cool um, little, five days of detoxing, um, which is why I sound a bit congested and stuff too. But, um, yeah, so 
shoot, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh man, we're just talking about promoting. So if you're not promoting yeah, anything yeah, right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll be posting more on social media. Follow me at runfast.club. I am getting so much, uh, so much love. People who are looking to start or who are, who want to learn how to run. Some people are intimidated. They're like, you know, I, I don't want to learn to run in front of a bunch of other people. I'd like mm -hmm. to do privates. Um, I like to do group sessions, semi-private um, or group sessions, sometimes hybrid. So I could train someone for a few sessions one-on-one -on -one, and then eventually move them into a group. And my training environments are all awesome. Everybody ends up being super cool with one another. Uh, but I'm looking to start a run fast club. So there's gonna, it's going to be a hybrid service. Some people will be training with me one-on-ones throughout the week. But then we'll eventually, at least one or two times in the week, be a part of a group. And we're either going to be meeting at one of two places, Gallagher Park and or Victoria School of the Arts grounds. Both of them are uh, for the grass. We'll be sprinting on grass. Gallagher Park gives us the option to do hill running as well. Um, we'll be doing resisted uh, sprints with some equipment that I have. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be teaching people how to sprint. I'll bring them over to the dark side so they can learn how to run fast instead of jog slow. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, check that is awesome. Dot club and uh, run fast dot club. Yeah. Run fast dot club on IG. Um, I just started that page. There's coach pow underscore. Um, I'll be, I'm going to try and get as much people over to the run fast club as possible. And then, uh, we'll figure out what I'm going to be doing with coach pow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, to close it out, thank you. We, I, I appreciate it. I know Jeff will appreciate. It. No, man, no, it's 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 awesome. I I think just having conversations and like I said, just having honest conversations, learning. Uh, you never know who might listen to this podcast down the road. You might be a a kid in Edmonton, Alberta, or. Uh, Ottawa, Ontario, you know, wants to learn about running and they're like, ah, you know, Emmanuel Paris, he ran and let's, let's listen to him, you know, and yeah. let's see what his journey was like. So, oh, I got one more thing to say. I forgot, uh, I'm working with, um, Groove Fix Media, video production company, and we're filming an extensive database, uh, video database, all like 4k exercise, 4k quality, um, videos were the run fast class portion is done, but now I'm going to be adding on the strength training programming as well. Right on. So that app will be available. Was that? Sorry. <laughs> that app will be available, say, within about two weeks. Okay. So, yeah. So, it'll be cool. I'll be dropping that information on both CoachPow underscore on IG and RunFast.club. Well, we'll share so both of those, obviously. <laughs> What's that, sorry? That kid in Ottawa can follow along. Yeah, man. The yeah. next uh, Olympic champion, right? Oh, so. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of this, right? Is just, you know, there's kids coming down the road that, you know, we're going to be watching on TV when we're old, yeah. you know, when our, when our, our running sticks or whatever you call them aren't working anymore, you know? So, um, no, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, getaway cane. The, yes. Yeah. The getaway cane. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, but, I, I truly am honored to, to be able to speak with you. Um, just being a, a fan of athletics, like I said, when I ran into Kathy Freeman when I was 21 years old, you know, I was excited to, uh, to you know, that was, she was greatness, right? She had just run in the Olympics, right? So, but, um, you know, thank you for representing our country and obviously representing yourself and, and kind of sharing your journey in, in athletics with us. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Hopefully I didn't talk too much. But uh, oh. hopefully I said the right, the right stuff so that people can, uh, can 
take in that information and do something. No, I think it. it was a lot of good information, right? So, uh, you know, maybe down the road, we'll we'll have to have you on again. Maybe talk a little maybe. bit more uh, different topics. Yeah, go down that road. We can. So, Dude. but no, thanks again and uh, appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to those Canadian lads podcast. Give us a follow on social media. We're on the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, give us a follow and share it with your friends. Thanks again and have a great night.